0: Nice to be with you all this evening. And um, as you know, we're going to be continuing in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, right before we get started, i like to go to the Lord and just a uh, short prayer and ask Him to bless this service. Heavenly Father, I ask the Lord that you would please speak, Lord, through your word to us tonight and give us understanding, Lord. Your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh So, well, let's just get started with reading the passage, how about that? Uh, let's go to First Thessalonians, uh, verse 13, is where we're going to start in chapter 4, First Thessalonians 4, chapter 13. Uh, while you're turning there, I've heard it proposed by some people that the rapture isn't in Scripture, and I guess that's technically true because the word rapture isn't in Scripture just like the word trinity, for an example, isn't in Scripture. But, um, but the concept of the rapture, just as the, of that as the trinity, is in Scripture. That's undeniable. Um, so let's go to the, if you're there, read along with me. 1 Thessalonians verse 13. Uh, In chapter 4, verse 13 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that... So, I'm not really going to uh, talk a whole lot about the rapture, per se, tonight, because as I read this and read over it, it seemed that Paul was addressing an issue here. I'd like to title the message tonight, Eternity Minded. In conversation with Brother Winston last Sunday, uh, he's not here, I guess, so I can talk about him. No, I'm just kidding. not gonna talk about him, but he said something that I thought was a little clever. He said something along the lines of, I have uh, friends that believe in a mid trib rapture, I have friends that believe in a post trib rapture, but they're all hoping that I'm right. <laughs> and so that's all that I'm gonna say tonight about the timing here. I'm just gonna leave it at that. Um, no, matter, no matter where we stand, I think we all agree, okay? <laughs> We'd all like to get out of here first before everything goes south. Um, um, And even though this is one of the main passages that we draw from to talk about the rapture, that's not what I'm going to dwell on tonight because it seems like Paul is addressing, there's an underlying issue of a lack of understanding. And this lack of understanding is causing what would appear to be a hopeless sorrow. Okay, so in this passage Paul is addressing a problem by way of informing the understanding of his readers. Who knows what dilemmas in our lives would be dissolved if only we had greater knowledge. As an example, Amen. I wanted to go to the 73rd Psalm. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the Psalm and If we have the time, I'd like to read the whole thing because I think it's good. Let me see. To find one place, I lost another. Let me get back. Then the 73rd Psalm, it's a Psalm of Asaph. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It says, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know, and is their knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches and riches, sorry. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency, for all the day long have I been plagued, and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. So I just want to pause right there. So you see uh, Asaph's dilemma. He's envious of the wicked but we're going to see that it's about to vanish when he gains understanding. Okay, So Asaph has this problem, he has this dilemma, he envies the wicked, he sees how they're prospering and and he feels as though he's living a righteous life in vain. It says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant. So there's our word, okay? That's the same word that Paul use, uses in um, and 1 Thessalonians 4, now don't quote me on that as far as the Greek and all that goes. I don't know, but as far as English words go, it's the same word there, ignorant, okay? So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou, thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. So what I'm wanting to focus on here is how... His perspective changed, and that was the solution to the problem. Okay, another example is in 2 Kings six, and uh, you don't have to go there, but uh, we read about Elijah's servant, Elisha's servant, who um, the opening of his eyes to the spiritual realm re- relieved him from his fear. Okay, we all know the story. It, it's a lack of perspective. Yes, Paul is explaining what we refer to as the rapture, but he is doing so to address a separate issue—what appears to be a hopeless grief or sorrow at the passing of loved ones. This kind of grief was rooted in ignorance. Okay. Uh, have you ever heard the saying that goes something along the lines, "Too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good," or something like that? Yeah. Well, the exact opposite is true. The men who did the most for humankind were were those the most heavenly minded. Uh, Like Jonathan Edwards, do we all know who he was? The man that God used uh, in in the Great Awakening? Well, Jonathan Edwards is quoted as having prayed, Lord... Stamp eternity on my eyeballs. And, you know, uh, we wonder why we don't have revival today. Well, it's no mystery to me, you know. This is a man who lived his life with the word eternity stamped on his eyeballs, wherever he looked. Eternity. Uh, furthermore, I submit to you that if you're earthly minded, you are no heavenly good. I think that that's, that's the truth and i'm convinced that many of our lives difficulties are due to our lack of a true eternal perspective we're too caught up in the things of this world the smog from the filth and pollution down here chokes us and obscures the view of heaven like the hymn says o oh soul are you weary and troubled no light in the darkness you see there's light for a look at the savior and life more abundant and free it says turn your eyes upon jesus Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace." The waves weren't a problem as long as Peter had his eyes fixed on Jesus. And in a very similar way, we might experience various struggles that are simply due to a lack of right perspective concerning spiritual or eternal things. there's a lot of places we could go with this, obviously, when we talk about having an internal mindset. There's, there's, we could go off into what we should do based on that, how we should live, responsibilities. But tonight, I just want to try to hone in and focus on our soul's troubles, or the, the things that come up in our lives, the issues, the dilemmas that we have, that we encounter, that are simply due to a lack of knowledge. Uh, Now, Paul often rebukes different individuals and churches in his epistles, yet in the epistle to the Thessalonians, there are none that I could find. Uh, He reminds them of certain things and gives instruction, but overall the prevailing tone seems to be that of joy and of encouragement. As Paul addresses a potential point of ignorance, it's not obvious that he is rebuking them. And I wonder if it's because... As we read in Acts 17, is the account of Paul coming to Thessalonica. And the Bible tells us that he was there three Sabbath days before he was forced out by persecution. So in their case, this could simply be just because there was not that time there for Paul to instruct them in every way. I don't know. Of course, that's just speculation on my part. But I will say for us today, there is no excuse for ignorance. We have all of Scripture right here at our disposal, and there's no excuse. Hosea 4 6, I think we all know that passage too. It says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. So there's some pretty serious words there for people who are just ignorant of God's Word, who have it, and yet they're not studying it. As we grow in the knowledge of God and his word, we grow in understanding. The more we understand and have a right perspective of things, the more equipped we are to make wise decisions and take right actions. Proverbs 9:10. I mean, all these are very familiar passages. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. John 17:3 and this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I'm quoting these because as we talk about knowledge and getting into Scripture and not being ignorant, the most important thing about all of it is knowing God. As we, uh, it says, because um, we study the Scriptures with the sole intent to better know and understand God, knowing God's character and understanding His attributes is the only means by which we can live our lives in a manner pleasing to Him. And it is this very knowledge that brings comfort to the child of God in times of need. It's the very knowledge and the understanding of His character. Like the hymn says again, For I know whom I have believed. As we study the Bible, we must not forget it does us no good to know the Word of God if we don't know the God of the Word, which that's very possible, by the way. It it happens all the time, and in fact, I'm a witness to it myself. I think if you're not careful, you drift into knowing the Word, knowing the Word of God, without ever knowing the God of the Word. So that's the most important thing, and that's the key to the comfort talked about here in this passage. Yes, Paul's telling them about A certain event he's educating them in a sense but really this same principle of not being ignorant of understanding god's word is best applied in knowing the character and nature of god and and his attributes that's what's going to help us in times of need in verse 13 paul says i would not have you to be ignorant god does not want us to continue in ignorance The saying, ignorance is bliss, is not a proverb, although it seems to be quoted like that a lot, you know? (coughs) It's our duty to know God's Word. In 1 Corinthians uh, 14.20, Paul says, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. So if you want to know where it's okay to be ignorant, it's okay to be ignorant concerning malice, Okay concerning evil, concerning the things of the world. That's where it's okay to be ignorant. It's not excusable to be ignorant when it comes to the things of God. He says here, Sorrow not, even as others that have no hope. As Christians, we have hope, but the world is without hope. Amen. What hope is there apart from Jesus? As yet another hymn says, This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sometimes we have sorrow, but it is not as others that have no hope. The sorrowing is not the same. It's not a hopeless sorrow. Paul would have the believers in Thessalonica understand that for the Christian, better things are yet to come. But for the world, this life is all they have, and in fact, worse things are yet to come. The other day, Ann and I were in a bookshop, and um, on one of the shelves, there was a book that, um, it was like a how-to on how to, I forget the exact title, it was a how-to on how to conduct funerals for non-Christians. And uh, I just thought that's got to be one of the most miserable things to do, to have to stand up in front of family and loved ones and not to be able to have the confidence to tell them that we know they're in a better place. So here in the passage, Paul, it's talking about the rapture because he's trying to explain to us that the best is yet to come, that we are going to see that that Christ is returning. His return was going to reunite us with our saved loved ones. And, And in understanding this, He's bringing comfort to the people so that they don't sorrow like the people who sorrow in the world. Now, for them, it was this hopeless sorrow, perhaps. But there are problems that come up that many times are specific to each of us individually that arise in our lives that I believe will dissolve with the understanding of who God is, with the understanding of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is referred to by Jesus as the Comforter and we are to comfort one another. But how are we to comfort one another with these words if we don't know these words, we must know God's word in order to be eternally minded. Yes. <sighs> now, in the. What is it that preachers say when they're going to wrap up a sermon? In closing, mm-hmm. which basically means it's time to put your seats in the upright position and. Buckle your seat belts and make sure all luggage is stowed under the seat in front of you because it's going to be another 30 minutes before we land. But uh, that's, <laughs> nah, nah. In closing, um, when we look around at the state of the world and even at the state of the church today, it's easy to lose hope. But even though the world is falling apart around us, I find comfort in God's word. I know how it's going to end. I may weep now, but I know there is coming a day when He will wipe away every tear from my eyes. Though I feel out of place as a stranger in this world at times, I know that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me, and He is coming coming again to take me home. In my darkest moment, when no one else understands, my most precious High Priest, He understands having been tempted at all points just like me. And when I don't have the words to express my heart's deepest yearnings, God deems my groans the perfect prayer. And I know this simply because the Bible tells me so. What a wealth of comfort awaits us in the pages of Scripture. God doesn't want us to be ignorant of it. And that's That's the word this evening.